You learn a lot of different things with trials and tribulations, and at the end of the day, you get some positives from whatever mistakes you've made. That is a quote by the famous and most wise Brock Lesnar of WWE fame. But all jokes aside, this quote perfectly summarizes our subject of today's story, Ludwig von Beethoven, who seemed to have gotten kicked down at every turn. A terrible upbringing, having love slip through his fingers on more than one occasion, and having what should have been a career-ending ailment when he began to lose his hearing. But Beethoven truly did make some positives out of his mistakes and misfortunes, with each trial propelling him further into legend. So how did Beethoven handle this incredibly bizarre hand he was dealt? Find out on today's episode of On In Five. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to On In Five. Thank you for joining us. My name, of course, is Anton Ryder. If you haven't heard of me in part three of Beethoven, you've done something weirdly wrong. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how Just you got here, off. but go 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 check Good out part you. one and two first. Uh, joining me, of course, is Austin Thomas and Ethan Bonin. How are you guys doing tonight? Thanks for having us, Tony. Thanks for thanks for inviting us on to your show. Are we, yeah, are we all hosts or are we all three co-hosts? How does this work? I Can I kick you guys off at any point? I think it's your, I yeah, think if you want. you're literally the only one that this can't operate without. So I think that's yeah, kind of how it works. Noted. Well, Absolutely. thank you for joining even, me and I will be doing the rest of the episodes myself. I didn't know I that was an yeah, option I wish until I hadn't this said moment. That. I wish I hadn't said that. <laughs> I didn't even, I didn't even know I was like going to be here today until about That's noon. true. And it caused us <laughs> a lot of, true. a lot of panic. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of real stress. Uh, yeah, fine. the 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 world is burning, and uh, so we're gonna take your mind off it a little bit uh, with with this series. We are we are. I'm gonna say we're halfway through. I'm hoping we get this done in five parts, what? but we'll see what happens. We're gonna ease you back into a simpler time when everyone had a great life. No one was struggling. Yeah. No one had any problems. No yeah. You know, 1800s Vienna, Germany. <laughs> mm, beautiful. Vienna, Austria, my guy. Yeah, no no problems yeah, to be fine. seen. No disease. Soon to be French occupied. <laughs> yeah, there's no no pandemics, no corruption in politics. None of that. Yeah, nah, yeah. None of that. 1820s never had a plague. <laughs> All right. Weird. So, yes, we are, of course, talking about Ludwig von Beethoven today. So let's still, get into it. Um, still. Well, still, on, when, still we last, yeah. when we last left him, he was in Vienna going deaf, and had just lost one of the many loves he pursued uh, to a Miss Countess Julieta Gucciardi and had written and dedicated a song to her, Sonata Quasi Una Fantasia, or as we know it, Moonlight Sonata. Mm. <sighs> written about a 16-year-old. <laughs> it's weird. It's kind of like it. Yes, we played it at the end of last episode. We will play it again. You are hearing the first uh, of the movements for that piece. Um, and if you listen to later movements that he had done, it's much more like uplifting and happy. Yeah, the emotions I would say that I'm currently feeling are soul-crushing sadness and supreme loneliness. Uh, uh, yeah, we aren't going to get into your personal life here on the episode, though. Mm. Uh, I'm not a therapist, mm. but... I will charge you $75 an hour to talk about it if you want. 
you're already charging me yeah, more I than don't... that to be on here. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't think insurance is going to cover Tony's therapy. Oh no, no, yeah, I only I take unmarked uh, non sequential bills is all that I take. <laughs> what? Thanks, uh, suckers. Okay. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, that helps you. <laughs> so this was like th- this song was like a way for Beethoven to say. I am sad that we can't be together, but I want you to be happy. And so if you listen to those later parts, they're much more uplifting and much more happy. So, you know, he's kind of sending her off on a good note. And in the end, Giulietta Gucciardi married some no name and faded into obscurity except for her attachment with this song. Beethoven had hit another low point after all this transpired. So in 1802, it was suggested that Beethoven leave Vienna for a bit to clear his head. So he traveled to the beautiful town of Heiligenstadt, nice. a small town north of Vienna. And this is not the only time we'll see him retreat to this place. It was meant to be mm-hmm. a place for him to reset because it was only about an hour from Vienna by carriage. So he was able to make it back and forth if need be. But uh, it doesn't do so hot out there this first time around. Yeah, it's a real weird time for him. Yeah, he gets pretty down. And if you are wondering, like I was, it's only a 21-minute drive by modern <laughs> huh. Oh, Really? Did you look up, like, did you look up the bicycle time? I thought about it. It's probably going to be an yeah, hour. Yeah, yeah. Actually, bicycle probably goes faster than carriage. Well, I'm sure the roads they have now are slightly more yeah. sophisticated and refined than, than beautiful 1802 roads. I don't know. Maybe but who not. Would to say? Maybe worse now. Maybe not. That's actually <laughs> true. Um, so it was a quiet little village in the woods where Beethoven would be all but anonymous. Leaving to travel here would fare with mixed results for Beethoven. He would be all alone, which wouldn't do well for his thoughts, as isolation usually does, as the entire fucking world knows from the mm. last six months. Mm. But it would allow him to compose at his leisure. A lot of publishers were breathing down Beethoven's neck at this time, always hounding him to finish his next piece. And though Beethoven was a workhorse, composing multiple pieces at a time on more than one occasion, even he couldn't keep up with their demands. So this was a nice change of pace. It also gave him time to fully come to terms with the ailment that was slowly taking him over. He had given up on trying to fix his hearing, and this was his time to make peace with the fact that it was failing him. This move was actually suggested to him by his doctor, uh, Dr. Johann Adam Smith. And it's a fun name. It's, yeah, it's a good name. Good, strong name. And mm. they, they basically ran out of options. And he was like, maybe getting away from this loud, dirty city will at least allow you to rest your ears and your mind. <laughs> just They've just <laughs> like, fully given up. They're like, maybe maybe if you just go to know. somewhere that's not near me, it, maybe it'll fix itself. I don't know. But at the very least, I don't have to deal with Listen, it anymore. you're fully boned, so maybe <laughs> try to take it easy. <laughs> Good luck out there, man. (laughs) Yeah, so the little home he stayed in was tended to by a mother and daughter who gave Beethoven all his meals and cleaned up after Beethoven, which I'm assuming from what we've heard through this whole story is no easy feat. Can't imagine the man that's going deaf and has irritable bowel syndrome, which we talked about last time, was a very clean person. Yeah, (laughs) probably some things to clean up. (laughs) God. Yeah. In 1802... (laughs) 1802 <laughs> Austria were is it, is it dysentery this week or is it still the IBS <laughs> I can't disease, tell Crohn's disease so it's different yeah it's man those Crohn's Don't disease fight. commercials they get me every time I always feel so bad for oh, the guys it sounds like a nightmare and gals yeah I don't know never had yeah. it wouldn't know anyway <laughs> wouldn't know 
<laughs> so while in Heiligenstadt, he managed to finish his second symphony, Opus 36, a 31-minute piece consisting of four movements, written for two flutes, two oboes, two clarinets, two bassoons, two French horns, two trumpets, a timpani, and strings. I don't know why I listed out the instruments. I don't do that for the, any of the other ones, but that's. <laughs> but there you go. Uh, that's based, But that, that really is kind of like the, the kind of the standard orchestra movement like you'll get trombones in there sometimes whatever but but that's kind of just like the go-to mm. so beethoven also composed the entire piece for piano only his second symphony but wrote it for just piano uh, and he dedicated this piece to his longtime financier and roommate prince carl lishnovsky turbulent times ahead for the duo dear listener turbulent times mm. ahead he's getting bumpy a lot of turbulent times with relationships and I think everyone else was the problem. Beethoven was yeah, not his of course, fault at all. Of course, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, not his fault. <laughs> yeah, and though it was completed here in 1802, here in Heiligenstadt, it wouldn't be debuted until 1803, which was not that uncommon for Beethoven's piece. Like, they would be finished, and then they wouldn't be played for sometimes years yeah. like it, it's pretty weird well that's all right so beethoven also had the pleasure of being visited by his wonderful brother carl while he was out there who brought him the good news that he was turning people away left and right because they weren't offering <laughs> beethoven enough to play as we said in the last episode carl was like cousin eddie from christmas vacation she falls in a well eyes go cross gets kicked by a mule they go back to normal i don't know <laughs> <laughs> I would I make a movie. reference, but I can't come up with a single one. Oh, good. Oh, go watch it. Please go watch it. I we'll had, bring it up again in this episode because it's so good. I had to rewatch it after the last episode. Hillary and I have <laughs> been too long, so we threw it on. Whipped it out. I love it. Yeah, but, but while Beethoven was having to deal with Carl, he found another ally in someone who had recently arrived in Bond, Fjernance Reese. He was another musician who came to Bond to further his career. Reese's father then asked Beethoven to look after him, and in return, Reese acted as Beethoven's friend and personal assistant, even though Reese was 14 years younger than Beethoven. But it did seem like most of the people in Beethoven's life, like were either substantially older or substantially younger than him. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at Nifa or Haydn or even Lishnovsky, it wasn't that uncommon. So now having this younger friend wasn't that far-fetched. Reese's father was Franz Reese, who was uh, the leader of the electoral orchestra in Bonn. And mm -hmm. he instructed Beethoven on violin for a short time when he was younger. So he asked him to watch his son when he came to Vienna. And this actually ends up being super important because Reese ends up writing memoirs in, of his time with Beethoven. He gives a lot, a big majority of the personal stories and anecdotes that we have. Yeah. Beethoven's daycare service LLC, but yeah, have to do what you have to do when your brother is constantly turning away business, like for performances and stuff. I do appreciate that you made Beethoven's daycare service a, a, an LLC. Yeah. I appreciate that you made it yeah, a limited, limited liability. Yeah, 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 like you don't... Yeah. You're don't, keeping your hands you off all know. that kind of. You don't want to, yeah. any blood on your hands. You don't lose money in the silver. Self-employed is 1099. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's good. He's good. He loves kids. He loves 16-year-olds and writes pieces about them. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, I don't know about that. It did happen. Remember, that's who Moonlight Sonata was written about, was a 16-year-old. Uh, and I don't like it. I still don't, I don't like it. Like <laughs> 
<laughs> we've, we've, we've went back to the books. We've watched the documentaries again, and we've come to the conclusion. Still don't like Still it. Still don't like it. Don't like it. <laughs> so Reese accompanied Beethoven out into Heiligenstadt, or at the very least came to visit him on multiple occasions while Beethoven was on his leave of absence. Again, Heiligenstadt was only an hour north of of, um, of Vienna. So, I mean, it wasn't that bad of a, of a carriage ride or whatever he needed to do. Yeah. And while Reese tried to convince Beethoven to come back to Vienna, Beethoven refused and didn't come back for a full six months, not leaving until October. And while he was there, for one reason or another, Beethoven wrote the Heiligenstadt Testament, or as it is known now, his will and testament, which left all of his things to his brothers, Johann and Karl. Some say that this was actually a suicide note that he just never got around to actually like fulfilling. But personally, I don't think that's true. Um, while Beethoven was a grumpy man, I don't think he was like ever truly like suicidal i don't think he was ever going to go through with it yeah after everything i've listened to and read i don't either there's a a part where he specifically touches on the idea of suicide in the note and it kind of makes it seem like he thinks it's something um that it wasn't his intent but uh it reads more like a contingency plan like Mm -hmm. uh god that sounds fucked up but (laughs) (laughs) i mean but yeah honestly the way it's written is it's where it's more or less him saying if he comes to a point in his life where his hearing is fully gone and he has no way to compose then he'll just take matters into his own hands in quotes as he says yeah yeah i think that's a better way to put it than the way i put it like if he fully lost his ability to do the only thing that he could do because if you remember he couldn't do anything outside of composing yeah then suicide would be on the table but he still felt confident that he could compose during all of this mm-hmm. in the book that we read there's a whole bit about how beethoven wrote carl's name in his will but not johan's and why that may have been and like in different theories but Honestly, if we went down all those rabbit holes of speculation, like while trying to decipher all the remaining bits and pieces of a life that was lived 220 years ago, <laughs> this series would be 10 parts long. And we just can't subject you to that. Like, that yeah. would be too much. No, yeah, it's pretty bizarre that there's so much speculation around a guy that's been dead over 200 years. <laughs> a lot of audio books on YouTube that are free. I. Picked another one that's 18 hours total, <sighs> and it's still not enough to get the whole picture. And these audiobooks aren't even mm-hmm. enjoyable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I better plug the new one that I started <laughs> since the uh, the BBC documentary that I picked was like ankle deep for information. He skimmed, uh, yeah. I, it's just, just pretty, pretty lackluster. <laughs> so I, I, I hopped into The Life of Ludwig van Beethoven by Alexander Wheelock Thayer. It's mm. five volumes. First one was published between 1866 and 1879, and the last one was published in 1908 in German and then translated to English in 1921. Not very fun. Uh, huh? Wow. Yeah. Not very no, fun. Sucks. <laughs> Weird. No. It's terrible. It's hell. Not, not too many jokes in that, huh? huh. Yeah. Nope. No, if you're not like absolutely crystal clear on answers on someone's life, it will become a petri dish for conspiracy theories. Oh, yeah. And that's where I come. <laughs> and again, we can't subject you to that. Yeah. But if you'd like to hear all of Ethan's weird inner thoughts vocalized, go listen to the last five minutes of our news episode because so far we've done two episodes and it is goddamn wild. So enjoy that. 
um, a little scary, honestly. <laughs> it's frightening. Yeah. No, we're gonna get this. We're gonna get this whole thing shut down because of some of Ethan's thoughts. It's, that's fine. Oh. It's fine. But once he was done with this will, he folded it up, hid it in a bag until he arrived back in Vienna, and then hid it away where it would go undiscovered until after his death. So then, in October of 1802, Beethoven left Heiligenstadt to head back to Vienna where he quickly fell back into his own life of hustle and bustle. And the next year, he got a full-time job as the composer at the Theater Underwien, one of Vienna's top theaters, which was only two years old at this time. This theater was meant to compete with the prestigious Burgtheater. Burgtheater. <laughs> Burger. I listened, Burger. To the, I listened to the guy a few times for the last one, and it's funny. You're, you're right. You're nailing it. <laughs> Boo. <Well. laughs> <laughs> so so unhappy with what he has to do oh man um and so while this this theater the the dieta underwin was meant to be more accommodating to the everyman with smaller more fun shows and a more laid-back attitude which was great for beethoven who was free to write and perform on his own pace the theater is actually still there and just got a facelift in 2006 yep. it's got a i think it's got a plaque outside that says that beethoven was the house composer there and yeah you can go check it out mm -hmm. which we will well, when we go on tour in 2021 right every right yeah yeah when all our patreon money sends us to germany yeah. thank you <laughs> thank, thank you. you for being a patron thank you we love thank you. you all three of you um <laughs> all three of you <laughs> so with this beethoven did allow his brother carl to move in with him which he very much despised as carl was still attempting to act as his manager and still demanding absurd things for beethoven's time not only did he like to demand exorbitant prices for beethoven's time but mm -hmm. Reese said Carl had a bit of a pension for going through Beethoven's abandoned projects and then just selling them for a ridiculous price without Ludwig even knowing. Mm, uh, good for him. <laughs> yeah, really good for him. The, Truthfully, one man's trash is another man's treasure in this case. Oh, hell yeah. of a lot of treasure. <laughs> and, uh, and let me tell you, Swafford's biography said that he once sold a four-string quartet for 170 florins and Beethoven sold his very first symphony for 90 florins. So if that gives you any. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Car Carl did learn a lot from all y'all. Oh, you got to ride that coat. Oh, yeah. Oh, giddy up. Giddy up, pony. <laughs> that freaking cash cow. I love it. I love it. Go get him, Carl. You do you. Yeah, you're doing Yo great, man. Johan is a traitor to the literal country. So in comparison, Johan is technically doing right. That's Johan Jr. I think Ethan's yeah, talking. Yeah, I'm yeah, talking no, no, Johan I know. Senior. I know. I'm just. Yeah, Johan. Okay. Anyway, we'll it's talk fine. more about Johan Jr. and his treacherous ways. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so even with the house job, he still got to compose and perform on his own time. So all in all, the gig at the Wien was really good for Beethoven. And one of the first performances he put on at the theater was ambitious, to say the least. It was only four months after he got the job, and he wanted to do his first symphony, his second symphony, an oratorio, and his third piano concerto. And the last three, his second symphony, his third concerto, and the oratorio, he would be premiering that night. And just as a side note, the oratorio is basically an opera, but it isn't acted out. It's performed like a symphony. All in all, this was going to be a two and a half hour plus affair. And the whole orchestra had less than four months to learn all of it. And as we mentioned in the last episode, Beethoven was a perpetual rewriter, tweaking parts all the time. 
And in this case, the day of the performance on April 5th, 1803, he called Reese into his room at five in the morning to tell him he had written trombones into the oratorio. There had been no trombones in the piece before this, and Beethoven told Reese that he had to find him some. So Reese went out into Vienna at like six in the morning and found trombone players. He brought him back to the Wien and they practiced until 2.30 p.m. Yeah, this rehearsal started at 8 a.m., so he had literally three hours from when Beethoven told him and uh, insanity. Yeah. And he, he had to find trombone players that could hack it. And he fucking pulled it off like a, a review. He, oh, he did it. A Reese review would come out that says it's kind of negative review, but it specifically says how good the trombone accompaniment was insane. I can't imagine what it's like inside of Beethoven's head. <laughs> I could bet he just constantly, like, every day was just hearing something new. Like, as he was going over his sheet music, he'd just be like, oh, I need to add this. I need to add this. And I bet it's just, since he's losing his actual hearing, all he can hear is what's in his head. Yeah. You know? It's amazing yeah. that he ever, like, finished any piece. And I wonder <laughs> if, like, his big symphonies, I wonder if later when he conducted them. He would think of Yeah, more. if, like, he would add little parts in there, but it was already published or whatever. Mm. Like. I don't know. Who knows? We, I, no one knows. But yeah, he just he loved to rewrite things and add things, whatever. But you have to wonder with that with that review that got put out. You have to wonder if the trombone shone through, like specifically because they weren't subjected to Beethoven until the very last minute. Like the reason they did well is because they weren't beaten down like everyone else. I I think you could very well be onto something there, as you often are. Like. I just don't like as people, right? Is that what you yeah. mean? Like mentally beaten down? Yeah, it's yeah. essentially like like sending <laughs> brand new soldiers to the front line, the like on the last day yeah. of battle, and they're like, "We're good. We'll do whatever you need to." But we'll do whatever you yeah, feel fresh faced. Everyone else is like, oh, "I just just put a bullet in there, please, so I can be done with this." Let us die. Trombones, trombones for life. I put trombones in. Uh, I played the trombone in high school, and I was really okay at it. Really, really mediocre. Nerd. He keeps giving us these no pieces, and we keep practicing them. And we're just, I just, I just <laughs> want to die more than anything right now. <laughs> I can't, I can't take this anymore. He's <laughs> giving us something new every day. I just can't take. Yeah, they, they, t- uh, they played until like two thirty, and then they took a break at Lishnovsky's request. Beethoven didn't want to stop, but they, but Lishnovsky told him that. He had to take a break so that they could eat. And then they performed this concert at 6 p.m. And they played the pieces I mentioned and were originally meant to play more, but pieces had to be dropped because the night would have gone on way too long had Beethoven had his way. Um, Like Beethoven wanted it to go on as long as you could. And you'll see he has some long concerts later on. Everyone else was completely fine with them dropping pieces and it only going two and a half hours. (laughs) Yeah, they freaking wished. Just just to really hit home the level to which he would rework things until the very last second. For the piano concerto, uh, he asked Ignaz Siegfried to turn the pages for him. And Ignaz was the concert master of the Andervine. Underveen. Underveen. Underveen theater. <laughs> but, but he still agreed. And he said when he took his place to turn pages, he realized Beethoven had barely written any of his own parts down at all. Yeah. And most of the pages just had what he compared to hieroglyphics on them. <laughs> so, so Beethoven had to basically written clues for himself, then ask the concert master 
to turn his basically blank pages for him. Just chicken just, scratch on there. Yep. Yeah. He just gave him a <laughs> sly look whenever it was time to turn the pages. And I would have absolutely shit my britches. Yeah. That's horrifying. <laughs> that's so, that's so scary. Because, like, God. even though Beethoven had it mostly memorized, if, if, if Ignaz, like, didn't turn the page... Beethoven would have been furious and he oh, yeah. he would have stopped the concert which we will we have an example of that later on so strap in for that but like Beethoven loved this shit like after after the fact he just laughed about it like he wasn't even like sorry about that or anything like he was just like <laughs> you did good so he, it's I funny off on I loved it. it I bet he just plumb full of adrenaline the entire time this is the only thing that made him feel alive at this point. oh yeah he lived for that high. this was this was skydiving <laughs> yeah. for the oh, people yeah. in the 1800s God. God. <laughs> so scary um yeah but the the concert went off without a hitch and it was received somewhat well but there were some critical people who were critical of some of his pieces and more surprisingly beethoven wasn't really affected by like the critical reception of the night he was just kind of okay with it he did drastically change the artaria later but you do that with that information what you will he cared a little but it wasn't a heightened exactly it's just the public so what do you who, who gives <laughs> yeah, a crap whatever um so with that beethoven's career at the Wien was underway one thing that would be consistent through his time there was he would always push things to the limit. He loved seeing what he could do and what he could get away with. But even with this new job and this new responsibility, he had these like bitter, grumpy moments. On one occasion, he brought in a world-famous violin player, George Bridgewater, to perform with him and even wrote a sonata for the event. Bridgewater was kind of a big deal, honestly. He was the violin player for the Prince of Wales, and he mm -hmm. really, really impressed Beethoven. But we're going to see the true pull that Beethoven really has in Vienna. Oh, so scary. Yeah. Bridgewater was like legitimately world renowned. Like the, that, the that best good. The best part of this book that I've read so far is the book introduces Bridgewater and then it's just a sentence after it that says, poor George Bridgewater. <laughs> yeah. Period. That's <laughs> oh, so God. sad. So sad. Okay. <laughs> So the, piece, the sonata that Beethoven wrote was incredibly difficult, but Bridgewater was up to the task. The concert had to be delayed for two days, specifically because Beethoven wasn't done writing the pieces yet. That's how freaking like last minute he was. They had to, <laughs> they had to push it back two days. Jesus. For the Prince of Wales violinist on hold for two <laughs> yep. days. It's like, oh, you're here. You're just going to wait. Fine. It's fine. Oh, and he was begging Beethoven to have his pieces like. Yeah. done out so he could practice but still did, wasn't did not happen yeah he was writing on the last like up until the last minute and bridgewater was over his shoulder practicing the pieces as beethoven was writing them that's how yep. last minute it was and so uh, it, it's insane so then on may nightmare, 24th beethoven and bridgewater played at played together at the veen Beethoven had written a particularly difficult part that he played on piano. He thought it would be p impossible to play on violin, but when he played the part a second time, Bridgewater played along with him. Beethoven was so surprised by this that he stopped playing, jumped up from the piano, and hugged Bridgewater right there, and then told him they were going to do it again. Right in the middle of this concert, this paid concert, they st he stopped it so that they could do it again. And so they did. And then on the second and third movements, which they hadn't even played fully yet, because again, Beethoven was writing them up until the concert, mm -hmm. they performed them perfectly. And at the end of the sonata, Beethoven announced that he would be dedicating that piece to Bridgewater, which was truly a huge honor. But at the after party, 
here it comes. Beethoven and Bridgewater were talking, and Bridgewater made an, a, a, an offhanded joke about a woman, and Beethoven was outraged by this, to the point where he told Bridgewater he was going to take back his dedication. Bridgewater tried to reason with him, but it didn't matter because Beethoven had made up his mind. Bridgewater left shortly after the argument, and he faded into obscurity, and the piece was dedicated to Rudolf Kutzer, a French violinist who never even played the piece because it, he said it was impossible. God. Tony, I'm going to submit to you here. It's mm. a little more extreme Please. than just fading into obscurity. <laughs> I, that's true. I did. I, I sugarcoated it a little bit. You understand. <laughs> like, this, this one comment to Beethoven completely destroys Bridgewater's life. Like Ugh. Beethoven's name carried so much weight that after he withdrew the dedication and publicly denounced Bridgewater, his life fell apart. And there's a record, um, according to Suchit's book, that a music a music historian found George living in South London on the streets, and then he ended up dying in a home for the destitute. And like, how is it? Yeah, <laughs> it's and as if that's not bad enough. On top of it, the piece that he played flawlessly in front of everyone was dedicated to someone who never played it again because they said it was impossible. Yep. <laughs> that's insane. I was reading that Beethoven, and I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Basically Beethoven signed his death warrant. Like a weirdly high moral standard. Yeah. It's weird. I don't, yeah, I don't like, get it. The people around him, like, and he like, I, they kind of harked on the BBC documentary that I watched that he really wasn't a church goer, but he like, had really high, like almost like moral standards from biblical teachings, yeah. but he was not a person that went to church like at all. Well, it, yeah, and it's uh, uh, it, it's weird. It's weird. I mean, I've I've met and dissociated with plenty of average churchgoers that would probably that have said worse things. So I don't know that they're who I would base yeah. my moral values around. That's true. As long as, <laughs> as long true. as you uh, throw those hail mary full of graces up Sunday morning, you're. I think you're clear take, to do whatever you want. Yeah, you take Jesus fine. into your life. You can do whatever you want. No one else gets affected by it. <laughs> kind of a hall pass. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, okay. So shortly after Beethoven moved on to the next thing, L didn't barely affected him, L literally ruined a guy's life. And he was just like, well, shouldn't have said that comment. I don't know. Um, he was asked by the director of the Veen, Emmanuel Shikanita, to compose an opera about Roman mythology, which Beethoven attempted to do, but he quickly gave up on it because he just wasn't interested in it. He literally was told by his boss to work on this piece, and then he just stopped doing it. Well, Shikanita had already <laughs> produced the uh, libretto, which is the text part of the mm -hmm. opera, and Beethoven said that he just gave up working on it because he said the language was that of, in quotes, our local Apple woman, Woo! which I think, Take I think it means, easy. <laughs> I think that means not well worded and maybe full of bullshit. Yeah, just probably grammatically improper for the time. Yeah, yeah I think that's what he's getting at. Do you um, know what I think? I think that if, if somebody else had said that, they'd get a dedication revoked from them. So <laughs> take it easy, Beethoven. <laughs> you are Jeez, absolutely Beethoven. right. Uh, and then... Strap in for this to to add to that. Mm. He also said Shikanita was too infatuated with his own opinion to let anyone change anything, so he just gave up on it. That is uh, the pot calling the kettle black. Right, I would there. say so. <laughs> Immovable object meets the irresistible force. What do we get? We get nothing but a story about it. Yeah. <laughs> How do you? What Good do you know? Story. Beethoven ends up on top because he just does whatever he wants, and people allow it because he's Beethoven. 
pretty wild. So he began work. He instead, instead of doing this opera, he began work on his third symphony. We're talking about one of his more famous pieces here, Eroica. That's erotica without a T. Yep. Uh, sounds like a British person's worst nightmare. So he began and finished what? the piece. Think about it. Er- erotica without the T? Erotica without T? Oh, because there's no T. You got to get it? Thank you. That's, that actually, a- that's actually really good. And it went over my head and I tried to save face by making fun of it. But it's, it's actually good. very. Hmm. Yeah, it was very. So. Thanks. Thanks. I, didn't even, I, I didn't even put it I'm in sorry. the script because I wanted to surprise you guys with it. Unscripted. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yes, he began and finished this piece over the course of a single summer, 1803. And the two biggest things that came from this symphony are, one, it was the first symphony he had written since he had come to terms with his deafness. And so this was the first major piece he wrote where he couldn't fully hear the parts he was composing. Uh, and even with this obvious hindrance, the piece he wrote still sounded like this. Just like uh, it's a standard Ugh. Beethoven piece, but Big. wrote it without being able to hear it. Just absolutely incredible. It's incredible and jaw-dropping. And Tony, I'm just loving the amount of joy I'm seeing in your face from playing <laughs> these pieces in the show. Yeah, thank you. No, it's it's really fun to be able to do this. Um, who knows? Maybe we'll just do this for the next episodes when co- the music is copywritten and we're just going to ride this fucking carpet ride to the ground. <laughs> we'll just burn I, down what we do. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens. I don't know. Maybe the last episode will just like have the final two symphonies under it the entire time. We don't know what's going to happen, but we're really, really milking really this as much as we can. Um, who knows? But yeah, this 32 year old man had like such an incredible understanding of music that he could write without hearing what he was writing. He could write whole symphonies in his head and then translate them to page without ever hearing what they sounded like. We said it plenty by now, but I will never get over how impressive that is. Like when I was younger, I wrote I wrote younger in here. I still do it from time to time. I would uh, I would try and walk around my parents house with my eyes closed just to like just to see if I could do it. Like I had obviously knew my parents lay out of their house really well, but like I was still horrible at it and would still run into shit all the time. Yeah. I, I wore a dish towel as a cape until I was far too old, but that's a whole <laughs> different set of issues from recreational blind man training. <laughs> again, again, $75 an hour, man. I'm pretty cheap. All things considered. It's not bad. Austin, I could be your therapist for half that rate, but you have to listen to my problems too. It's a give and take, kind of <laughs> like being one of the most talented composers of all time, but gradually going down. <laughs> I didn't right, know this. Sounds this like isn't a most... capitalist society. I'm not going to allow this 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 competition gonna, here. I'm a, I'm a monopoly. Cut your rates. <laughs> cut your rates. I'm the therapist here. Hell yeah. <laughs> Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Um, no, yeah. I obviously really rely pretty heavily on my sight to see, but <laughs> Beethoven accepted that he couldn't rely on his hearing to write, and he just moved on with it. And he hasn't even written his best works yet. Like, that's the crazy thing. Oh, man. Yeah. The second thing about this piece is that 
it was dedicated to a special someone. Um, when he was composing it, France's army, led by Napoleon Bonaparte, was basically sweeping through Europe. Beethoven was extremely fond of Napoleon and his leadership and sort of saw him as like the guy. Like he's, he's the cool guy. He's the cool man. Um, so he was so intrigued with him that he initially dedicated this symphony to Napoleon, calling it Eroica. Uh, I made the joke up top. I actually didn't have a chance to say Eroica means heroic in German. Yeah. Um, or no, Italian. My mistake. My mistake. Um, but sure. He was all in on this guy, like really wanted it, whatever. He planned to send a copy to the French embassy as soon as he was done with it for him, but that wouldn't come to fruition because soon before he published the piece in May 1804, Napoleon declared himself emperor of France, which made Beethoven really mad. He saw this as Napoleon overstepping his boundaries and seizing too much power. He was really appalled by this. He said, Mm. is he then too nothing more than a human being? Now he too will trample on all rights of man and justify his own ambition. He will exalt mm. himself above all others and become a tyrant. It's just the next person in Beethoven, t- Beethoven's life that he does not keep a good working relationship with. Yeah, I don't think they ever met, but <laughs> yeah, like... Yeah, I don't think yeah. they have a relationship. <laughs> I mean... I'm sure it's that a, it's a, it was probably a real, at least heard of It was him. a relationship of admiration, and now that was gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just oh, yep. so wild. He was right. He was actually right. He became a kind of a tyrant, so I don't yeah. know about that. Yep. <laughs> so... After he heard this, he took the score, which he had written his dedication to Napoleon. He like took off the front page of the score and he ripped it off. He tore it in two and then he threw it on the ground and he later grabbed it and he raced Napoleon's name so hard on it that he actually put a hole in the page. And you can actually find that page, which has a hole torn in it from the eraser marks on it. Just like Bridgewater, Beethoven acted swiftly and he acted definitively. And he ended up dedicating this piece to Prince Josef Franz Maximilian Lubkowitz, but that obviously doesn't matter very much. He ends up being one of his patrons. We think our patrons are important. Patreon.com. Flash <laughs> on yeah. five. Go no, yeah. market it, baby. There you go. There you go. Um, so this symphony was almost double in length of his first two, coming in at almost an hour, and is seen by many as the first romantic symphony instead of the first or one of the classical that he had written in the past. Um, in the early 1800s is when they kind of move from this classical era to a more romantic era. Don't ask me what all of it means. This is this is going above my head. I tried to research it. Does I don't know, mm. but. No. Um, this this piece was a big achievement in the world of music, but Beethoven's world was once again rocked when the director of the Berg Theater became annoyed at the Wien's success that he ended up buying the Wien and firing the director Schikanita and in turn firing Beethoven, leaving him jobless and homeless uh, as he actually had an apartment in the theater with Carl. The director was Baron von Braun, and he and Beethoven had a lot of disdain for each other already. Uh, He promised Beethoven a second benefit concert a few years prior to this, and then he just kind of pulled the rug out from under him and canceled it. So there was already some bad blood there. Yeah. I'm going to joke about Beethoven's inability to maintain healthy relationships with people, but Baron von Braun kind of seems like it. Kind of yeah, he kind of yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, if you remember, yeah. he worked. At, he did a lot of things. Uh, Beethoven did a lot of things at the the Berg Theater, and then he kind of stopped once, once, um, or you know, as he moved into the Wien and things like that. So, mm-hmm. Beethoven and Carl, now homeless, moved into an apartment with Beethoven's friend Stefan von Bruning. They lived together for a short time before an argument drove Beethoven to move out for a period. He did eventually move back in, but he was really mad at some really small insignificant thing and beethoven would oftentimes fly off the handle at these like very small insignificant things 
He didn't like being wrong and he didn't like being tricked to the point where it permanently ended one of his longtime relationships with Prince Lishnovsky, who is now on the chopping block. Beethoven has a pretty big chopping block at this point. We might as well call this episode the episode of failure. <laughs> call the whole series <laughs> that, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's just oh, yeah. lots of... Lots of friends going yeah. away. I think in my audiobook, there's only one person that they mentioned that he maintains a relationship with, like a friendly one. Wiggler. No, he never like had a problem with. And, and, uh, Barely and, knew uh, it. They, I, he Apparently, he moved away. He just went away. He just never talked to him again and just wrote to him. No, okay. Yeah, so, wasn't Wiggler, so he wasn't someone else. He, kept, he kept a relationship with, with Von Bruning. He kept a relationship with Wiggler. And he kept a relationship with Reese. Those were three that did stick around till the end. I'm I'm almost Reese certain of it. And his relationship almost crumbles and it becomes a f- shell of what it once was yeah. by the end. But they do stay in contact. They stay in contact. Yeah, I guess if you want to call that a friendship, then yeah. you can. But, <laughs> I would but. say the friendship ends, but the acquaintance <laughs> stays on till they... Till uh. Yes. Um, yes. So... Lishnovsky and Reese hatched a plan to trick Beethoven just for fun. And truthfully, the trick they came up with was very harmless. Like incredibly harmless. <laughs> like not even anything. So that shouldn't have even been a story. <laughs> I wasn't even, I don't, we'll get into it. So Beethoven <laughs> was working on a piece for Count Vald, who we have talked about in the last two episodes and whose name I will not be saying again, because like I truthfully, I think his name is like some sort of incantation. Count Vald, Count Vald, Count Vald. <laughs> oh, God. Don't, don't, don't. I know exactly what it did. <laughs> it did some spooky shit, man. Yeah. After the last episode, like, my lights started flickering and, like, w- even weirder, my television seemed to just, Ooh. like, keep switching back to QVC. No matter how many times I changed the channel, like, we got a ghost, but apparently the ghost just likes to shop. So, I don't know. It didn't buy anything. Or nothing's arrived at our house yet, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Oh, you're a fun guy, Tony. Thanks. Thanks. That's my attempt at a joke. I'm going to blame. <laughs> joke for the everyman. I'm going to blame Count Vol for me misinterpreting when we were recording the episode instead of taking personal responsibility for me not paying attention to the group chat. That's what I'm going to do. Blame. <laughs> yeah, I'll join in on that too. Sure, yeah. Save me some yeah, frustration. Fuck you, Count Vol. Makes sense. That makes uh. a lot of sense. Uh... Yeah, we'll, we'll leave Count Vald there in the past. Hopefully that's the last time we mention it. Maybe it won't. Maybe we'll just end the whole series with his name one more time, just for good luck. We'll see what happens. But Bye, Count Vald. But right now, let's get back to Lishnovsky, who actually is also a ghost today, because this story takes place 200 years ago. Keep him coming, pal. Come on, Keep baby. Keep him coming. I'm here all night. I'm here all night. <laughs> oh, um, so part of the song that Beethoven was writing, he, he had set aside as it was too long for the sonata for Vald. And he was going to make his own piece out of it. So Beethoven played it for Reese, who memorized it, and then played it for Lishnovsky, who also memorized it. A world before technology where people actually remembered things. I saw a concert recently of John Mayer performing. That dude uses a <laughs> teleprompter for his own lyrics oh, now. Cripes. I swear Way to God. more common than you think. Like, it's cripes. frustratingly a com- a common. Yeah. I guess. You know, when you have over, God. whatever, a catalog of over eight songs, you better get a teleprompter out there. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. Yep. Gone are the days of just backing away from the mic to let the crowd sing the lyrics you don't remember. <laughs> you know it? Gone are the days. <laughs> so they decided that they were going to trick Beethoven and they were gonna they were gonna pull one over on him. It was gonna be just hilarious. They were all gonna laugh about it and then go to the Dairy Queen and get some ice cream. So they called yeah. him into the room to show him a piece that they were working on, and Lishnovsky began playing it, and Beethoven freaked out. 
because the piece Lishnovsky was playing was Beethoven's piece. Beethoven demanded that Lishnovsky get out of his apartment at once and swore to never play for Reese again, and he never did. Yeah, Beethoven was so paranoid about people stealing his ideas, and honestly, that's that's not unwarranted. There were definitely people that tried, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Reese was one of his closest friends, and this joke caused him to never trust him again, like to an extreme. Uh, if they were in company, so insane. Yeah. It, it's it's very extreme. Like if they were in company, it said that if someone asked Beethoven to play something, which he already hated, but mm-hmm. if he was going to end up doing it, he would refuse to do it until Reese had left the room. Like identity theft. <laughs> like what? How petty is that? That's insanely petty. The relationship between Reese and Beethoven continued, but there was a small rift between them, and the relationship between Lishnovsky and Beethoven began showing small signs of cracks that would eventually expand over over the years and eventually it would reach a boiling point and all this was over a piano solo called andante favori it is just I've said it before and I will say it again, but it is so weird hearing these pieces with the knowledge of knowing like what is Mm -hmm. behind these pieces. Cause they all just sound. So when you listen to like the Spotify playlist, this is Beethoven. It's just like, Oh, that's a beautiful piece. Oh, that's a beautiful Mm -hmm. piece. But then when you listen to this, it's like, Oh, this is a piece that broke up a friendship. Like this is a piece that ruined a friendship. Like it's so bizarre that this yeah. has happened or, or or like looking back on moonlight sonata like obviously it's sad but he'd written it because he had a broken heart like it's just by a 16 yeah. year old child <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> even weirder even weirder that's all it's written about child so so much more whatever or like or or eroica like a, a it was written for napoleon like the context of the world that beethoven was living in when he wrote these pieces makes the pieces so much more compelling I love it. Yeah, now that we're into part three of this, I can say with 100% certainty, this is my favorite series we've done. Mm-hmm. Like, Beethoven's pieces somehow become even more incredible with context. Yep. Agreed. Really incredible how emotionally loaded he can make his music without using lyrics. Well, and we... we, we it, when he, he writes an opera later, and we won't really talk about it, we'll talk about the opera, but as just like a thing, he didn't write, he didn't like writing lyrics. That was one of his mm-hmm. least favorite things to do. He didn't feel comfortable doing it. So that's why a lot of his pieces don't have any lyrics. Like, yeah. obviously, his Ninth Symphony does. Um, his Second Symphony was the the march for the um, the the funeral for the, the emperor and stuff kind of did. But, like, he didn't like it. Most of his stuff didn't have lyrics because he just didn't enjoy doing it. So... Kind of explains it, but yeah, he could he could compel those emotions, hundred percent clearly just with the instruments that he was coming up with again that he could not hear. So, about this time, <laughs> Baron von Braun, the guy who had brought bought the Wien, was desperate for a composer, and asked Beethoven if he wanted his job back. To which Beethoven agreed, even though he didn't like Braun, he'd still wanted that job back. He was working on tons of pieces for himself. He now had a. Uh, 
He was working on tons of pieces for himself and now for the theater. And once again, he found himself in love. He had been giving lessons for a few years to a woman named Josephine Brunswick, who has her own like elaborate backstory, which includes a wax museum magnate who turned out to be a fraud and a murderer and the murderer. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> four kids and tuberculosis, none of which we're going to get into because this world is insanely large and we just will never be able to end this series if we don't. Too so, much juice. There's too much juice. <laughs> too much juice. Who let the juice loose? So Beethoven <laughs> had feelings for her from the very beginning, but had to sit by as she fell in love and was married to the wax museum guy. Well, you say fell in love with and married. I say was offered into marriage by her mother and spent the rest of her life miserable about it. Is that is that not love? <laughs> Ooh. Tony, I <laughs> offer a $37.50 dollar therapy <laughs> sessions if you're interested oh, as dude. well. Same offer. $37.50 dollar. You get your <laughs> yeah, 30, 37 $37 of cash and 50 30. of coin. Can't, can't, can't talk. 50 coin. That's 30, a, that's 37 a, yeah. paper, 50 coin. <laughs> that's a Steve Brule reverence. Go listen to that if you want to freaking laugh at some old John C. Riley. So Good the God. wax museum magnate contracted tuberculosis and died in 1804 and the wife josephine was left to run a hotel and manage her four kids so beethoven decided to see if he could rekindle the flame that he thought was there and so over the course of a couple years he wrote her 13 letters declaring his love for her courting has changed a lot yeah i mean those tinder pickup lines aren't aren't quite as aren't <laughs> quite as uh, beautiful as the letters but they do make me laugh yeah. so what i'd call a novella <laughs> but they are funny yeah Very so funny while this was going on he was still working on material for the veen including his first opera which he titled leonore he abandoned the one that the last director wanted shikanita and now is now working on one that was his own concept of a man who is falsely thrown in prison for murder and his wife's plot to break him out by dressing up as a man and going into the prison the whole thing was an absolute disaster absolute from com concept to completion can you say that how you wrote that absolute from concept <laughs> that's what i was looking for that's what i needed <laughs> so yeah we can't get into everything that would happen because again that would be the end of the episode is just talking about that. So here's some highlights and maybe we'll do a side episode or something like this on the Patreon, really breaking down this opera because it's a disaster. Oh, yeah. But in short, one of the parts for the singers went to Mozart's brother-in-law who didn't think highly of Beethoven. So Beethoven made the part extremely difficult to sing to the point where it was next to impossible for a human voice, which drove a huge rift amongst the cast and made the guy hate Beethoven even more. Uh, his name was Pizarro. And he had made public comments saying that no composer could touch his brother-in-law. So Beethoven got real petty. Oh, <laughs> oh I, I can't touch Mozart. Good luck touching this note that is clearly just a step <laughs> out of your range. There's no one I've ever met who can sing this note. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck, asshole. Pizarro, more like Pizarro. <laughs> yeah, no, Beethoven was literally prepared to tank his own opera to make this guy look like an asshole. Oh, yeah. I respect the move. It's a power move. <laughs> I suppose. I suppose it is. I don't know. I don't. I've got a couple married siblings. I don't. I think that the brother-in-laws are fine. They're just great people. Uh, I don't. I will not stand up for them to the point that Pizarro did for Mozart. So uh, I don't know. 
wouldn't but, tank my own opera for it. <laughs> correct. <laughs> um, then the first performance of the opera was canceled because the people in charge said that it was too political. Then it was rescheduled for a later date in the year when it was reworked. Then the French began invading Austria and made their way to Vienna. And by the time the yes, opera was performed, <laughs> and by the time the opera was performed on November twentieth, much of the city was under French control, and the theater was next to empty for the performance. Uh, it was basically the whole audience was just a couple of friends of Beethoven's in this like multi-thousand person theater. I can relate to that. I used to play a lot of weeknight shows in Oklahoma oh, yeah. City. It's really something. Just mm. begging anyone to come on a weeknight is oh, terrible. Yeah. We can relate. I think <laughs> no, we can all man. relate. Yeah. That is sad. Terrible. Speaking of which, uh, RIP to the Vaudeville Muse. That's yeah. really sad. Yeah, Rip Vaudeville. We... Well, really Truly sad upsetting. about that. Yeah, really sad. Yeah. We played many an empty, Shit. empty house. Um, yeah. That's okay. If you don't know what Vaudeville Muse is, you're not from Iowa, that's okay. It's a really cool venue that's shutting down because of COVID. RIP. Yep. So, the following two nights after this, the audience was made up almost entirely of French soldiers. Which Beethoven was not happy about at all. Austin, if you had to, on the spot, think of what the audience might have been saying during the uh, performance, what do you think the French soldiers were thinking? Oh, man. God. That... Great. I... <laughs> I, I, God, I don't even know, to be honest. Uh, I didn't expect you to put me on the spot like that. Well... Welcome, welcome to my show, asshole. So, <laughs> I think they're probably thinking something along the lines of, "This is uh, dog shit." <laughs> that's that's all, exactly that's all I've that's, got, you know. That's what I needed. That's actually what I needed. So, in true French style, that's exactly what they were thinking. That's so as close as I can get. I didn't have time to prepare. <laughs> um. So yeah, this this, this is the, the worst opera I've ever seen in my life. This is fucking dog shit. Just filled the whole audience was just filled with smoke as they they smoked their cigarettes. Off those weird long things. It's hard to even pay attention to this because I'm not interested. Most savage thing you could have said. Okay, so this opera was shut down after just three performances. Um. And then people met to discuss the opera after it was canceled. And Beethoven, though stubborn at every step, agreed to rework the opera for a later date, shortening it from three acts to two and removing unnecessary songs. Which, honestly, this was a surprise because he was notoriously stubborn with his music. But after they agreed to reworking everything, they had a party to celebrate their attempt at an opera. And Beethoven, though he didn't say it at the time, he would never write an opera again in his life. He was so mad about them removing those parts because he saw it as an incomplete piece of art without the parts that he had written for it. He heard it a certain way in his head, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah, Wild, yeah. So yep. this opera was reworked with the help of Lishnovsky, the orchestra, and Stefan von Bruning and was meant to try again at the beginning of 1805, but it kept being pushed back until March 29th. Then Braun said it had to be done on this date or he was canceling it altogether. And honestly, I don't think that Braun was happy that Beethoven was back and working for him here. Like, I think he just knew that it was a necessary evil. Like, he was always weirdly bitter and backhanded with his remarks and comments towards Beethoven. I'm sure he was plenty pissed at this point because 
that it was the opera was done at the beginning of the year and they agreed on a premiere date but then mm-hmm. beethoven decided he wanted to write a new overture and just months went by for him to do that i feel like braun having to hire him back would have caused a lot of contention just constantly probably just heated debates yeah absolutely i mean yeah, 100%. And but again, Beethoven was the guy. He was the composer in in Vienna. So like, yeah, you had to have him in your in anyone else would be inferior to Beethoven. So like, you have to put up with his bullshit, I guess. I guess. I guess. So when they put on the performance on March 29th, the theater again was far from full, and the orchestra and choir didn't play their best. Beethoven wasn't happy at that, and then he thought that Braun was shorting him his dues, which were based on attendance, and as I said, the attendance wasn't high, Mm-mm. so Braun made a comment how Mozart could fill out any house he tried, and that he wrote for the everyman, which really angered Beethoven. Beethoven demanded the score for his opera and was prepared to storm off. Braun gave it to him, trying to call his bluff, and Beethoven walked out, and the opera was again buried, but this time for a full eight years. Beethoven was so mad about this Mozart comment that he just started pacing in Braun's office, shouting, I do not write for the multitude, I write for the culture! <laughs> <laughs> and, and after he took but, his... But in, in, in response to that, Braun simply said, well, the mul- the culture don't fill houses. The multitude does, That's which That's- just lit the fire even Ugh. fucking more. Oh, yeah. And so Beethoven, he takes his score and leaves. And Braun ordered uh, Joseph Rockel, who uh, was the lead role of Floriston in this hmm. opera. He asked him to chase him down and try to get him to give the score back because he still wanted to put it on stage, which just, yeah, yeah it shows that the <laughs> Beethoven was not willing to take even the most minimal amount of shit because the comment was clearly only said to offend him and Braun didn't actually want to stop showing this. Well, yeah, uh, yeah. Dick measuring contest and uh, I think Beethoven won. <laughs> yeah, I think he did. As he, as yeah. he, as he typically does, yeah. Does, yeah, most <laughs> of the time. So... Though this opera was somewhat of a failure, Beethoven let it bother him little. He kept on composing and performing whenever he could. He was having to deal with his brothers, Johann, who was still working as a pharmacist in Vienna, but now was only (laughs) serving the French army who had invaded the city, which made him very wealthy and very hated. Yeah, this is what Tony was talking about when he said slightly traitorous in the last episode. (laughs) Just slightly, yeah. Yeah. I can see how this might have... Like caused a rift in his relationship with Ludwig. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just. I mean, you t- we we'll we'll go into it more in later episodes a little bit, but like, it's just so funny how you have like Beethoven, who even though he himself is kind of trashy, like is the pinnacle of like of of composure and in class, like he is the guy or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then you have Johann, who's also really big in the city, but he's like hated in the city and then you have carl who's a goddamn idiot who just is like just dinking around trying to figure out his place in the world like it's just funny that these three brothers are ruling the city in the worst way you, you, you gotta love it yeah. um and yeah carl who was like still he, he was actually going to get married to a woman who he had gotten pregnant and beethoven hated mm. absolutely could not stand Mm-mm. yeah this book the book that we read uh goes on for like a weirdly long time about just weirdly how much long. yeah how much beethoven <laughs> hated this woman but then the book was like the book was like 
Was it because he had secret feelings for her? We'll never know. It's like, why'd you even bring that up, yeah. John Suchit? Like, yeah. what are you doing <laughs> here, weird. guy? <laughs> really going out on a limb there. The, yeah. the movie I watched had something about him thinking she lacked morality. Well, I actually know some of her well, backstory, but it's probably too long to go into. One big story was that she got one of the housekeepers fired because she stole something from her father and blamed it on the oh. housekeeper. The housekeeper oh. got fired, but her father had told her when she was a kid that she couldn't ask him for money, but if she could take it and not get caught, she could just have it. So, <laughs> Oh, she's not, not, she's not Mother Teresa. No, yeah. She's not Maria Teresa as we've gone Maria on into part one. <laughs> um, no, it's... You know, yeah, she's not the she's not the freaking the saint or anything like that. But like, why does Beethoven care who who Carl marries? Mm-hmm. I, I actually will say um, Johan gets married later and, and Beethoven tries to shut this marriage down as well. And, and, and he said in the book, like, it just has to do with the fact that people were taking Beethoven's name, like the Beethoven name, um, which I guess they held in high regard. But like, again, you have a dad. Uh, you have okay, so you have the grandfather who is the capel the Kapellmeister, who's really again high, highbrow. Then you have the dad who is just a drunk asshole, mm-hmm. and then you have the three sons. One is a traitor, one is a brilliant <laughs> composer, and one is a dickwad. So like, the name is nothing to call home about. But what do you do? I don't okay, know. So- I think the one trumps all of them. I think it makes yeah, the one really set the standard. I suppose, I suppose, yeah, a pretty highbrow in this sixty thousand person. Kind of redefines town. the whole lineage, Anius. <sighs> yep, I whatever, whatever. So to take all <laughs> to take his mind off of all this shit going on, Lishnovsky asked Beethoven if he wanted to go away with him and take his mind off everything. To which Beethoven agreed, and they headed to a small town called Trapa, which was in the now country of the Czech Republic, where he had a small home. Beethoven wrote while he was there, beginning to work on his fourth symphony and other smaller works, including a few string quartets for the then Russian ambassador. And shortly after he arrived, he received news that Carl and his wife had given birth to a son, also named Carl, <laughs> but spelled with a K instead of a C. Like I said, Cousin Eddie through and through. Save the neck for me, Clark. <laughs> <laughs> Word of warning, though, if he does lay India, his best is just let him finish. <laughs> God, I'm I'm watching the movie this week. Austin, watched I probably it. shouldn't go sailing down a hill with nothing but a piece of government plastic in my skull. <laughs> Dad, switch it from metal to metal plastic. <laughs> She'd rub the microwave. I'd pass out, piss myself, and forget who I was for an hour or so. Goddamn, Nog's back on the shelf. It is it is Christmas time in the writer household. It is on the table. I love it. Yeah. You got to turn that on. <laughs> turn that on right I think after I'm just this. never going to watch it again so that I can always almost entirely be out of the loop. <laughs> great. <laughs> Wonderful. That's going to yeah. be great. Um, yeah, but good. yeah, but a couple big things happened while they were at the Lishnovsky estate. He met a man named Count Oppersdorf who had his orchestra perform Beethoven's second symphony for Beethoven, which he loved and promised Oppersdorf that he would dedicate his fourth symphony to him and give him exclusive rights to it for a time. And Oppersdorf will play a big part later in this episode, but we don't want to put the cart before the horse here. Not good on the horse if you really think about it. Of course it. not. It's just not something we would ever do. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Could be that's bad. true. That's tough. <laughs> yeah, that could, we'll cause so, some issues. That's with so logistically horse, yeah. correct. You're welcome. Good on you for pointing it out, my guy. Um, but 
<laughs> the bigger thing that happened here was Beethoven's and Lishnovsky's friendship came to an end here in Tropov on their vacation. So Lishnovsky had a oh, and it's a had a dinner party and invited Beethoven, but also invited some French soldiers for a reason. How would you, if you're a friend of Beethoven, think this is ever a good idea? Mm. I don't get it because Lishnovsky was like always on the same page with Beethoven, yeah. almost always. I'll say almost always, but like, yeah, he was right about now. He's not gonna be. Yeah, like. You know, how do you how do you mess up this bad? So Beethoven, as we've said, was not a fan of the French after the whole Napoleon thing and would get visibly angry when he would even see a soldier. And while Beethoven showed distaste for them while being at this dinner, he put it aside and sat with them to eat. But partway through the dinner, they began to push Beethoven to play for them. And if you remember, that is something he hated, the request to have him play. So things were beginning to stack up for him. And I'm sure you could see him getting more and more upset. And while his anger was growing, Leshnovsky, who was usually in Beethoven's corner, joined the soldiers in trying to get him to play. And this kind of goes back to what I said about Leshnovsky in the in the last episode. He really liked having the top musicians as friends and this is proof like he wouldn't normally back beethoven up but now he was in this position where he could garner favor with the french because he has the most renowned composer of the time at his house as a guest yeah so he just immediately joins him lichnovsky just immediately turns into that one friend who starts hanging with the cool kids in middle school and then when he realizes that he's in with the cool kids he just starts shitting <sighs> on you in front of the cool kids and this is definitely not speaking from personal experience. <laughs> it never happened to me. Huh. Didn't get shit on. Yeah, what's that yeah, like? Yeah, no idea. What's that like? <laughs> sad. So sad. Yeah, I never experienced I just, that I don't, I don't know. I don't get it. Mm. Beethoven is one of the, like, is the premier composer <laughs> in Germany. And these guys are just soldiers. Like, these guys, maybe even, I mean, even if they're like, you know, lieutenants or generals or whatever. I don't know the military standings, but... It's it, they're no Beethoven, and 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 Beethoven says a quote a little bit later, which I'll get to, which perfectly encapsulates all of this. So I'll get to that in just a little bit. Why are they there? What is the point? Yeah, of I don't. Them being I just there? don't get it. So they all kept pushing and trying to get him to play, and Beethoven kept refusing politely at first, and then more aggressively until eventually he threw his chair back, stormed up to his room, packed his bags, and left. But not before writing Lishnovsky a note that said, quote, Prince, what you are, you are by accident of birth. What I am, I am through myself. There have been and will always be thousands of princes. There will only be one Beethoven. And this is what I meant. Like, they're just they're just soldiers. Like, it's just a so why would why would Lishnovsky like go into their corner? Yeah, it's such a weird move. I, I think it's that the French were taking over and he was like, I better be on their good side. Better get on the good side. I don't want to get guillotined. You know? power. I suppose yeah. they do enjoy okay. that. That is a pretty big motivation. <laughs> and, and this, this actually almost came to blows. Like uh, when Beethoven went to his room to pack, he bolted the door and then Lishnowski came up and he found it bolted and got even more mad than he already was because he was mad too. And he ordered his servants to break the door down. And when they rushed in, Beethoven picked up a chair and went to bash him with it. But oh, but Opperstorf yeah. stopped him. Kill the <laughs> bastard. Ream him. Give him, hit him with a new one. <laughs> I've, I've said this about a... Oh, and Beethoven with the chair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Beethoven with the chair. Get him. 
Brock Lesnar, what a wise yeah, guy. Am I right? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, Lichnovsky, I've said this about a few other people, but uh, Lichnovsky, kind of a dickhead, too. Mm. Honestly, I think you're not right. For, through the whole series, he's been like, the whole time he's been there, part two in this episode, he's just been like a nice guy who's always been like, I, Beethoven, you seem like you have a lot of plate, a lot on your plate. Like, let's yeah. get out of here and go uh, get away for a while. Maybe his intentions had some, he had some good intentions, but I do think he had his own interests yeah. in the back of his mind at all times. Yeah, I'm of course. Um, I, and this is something this I, I kind of found myself putting on my my conspiracy theorist hat for a little bit here, and I just want to play with this for a minute. Do you think Lishnovsky was trying to get out of a friendship with the? Uh, I don't know. Maybe he's tired of paying him with Beethoven. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, because he was paying him a stipend, Housing he was him. like having to take care yeah. of him, everything like that. Like, do you think at some point he was like, "I got to get rid of this guy"? Like, it's fine. Maybe he, d- he saw him as bad. He does like still want to be friends after the fact, so that kind of kills that theory. But like, you know. Bait like Lishnovsky was one of his only friends besides mm-hmm. Reese in all of Vienna. So like he was going to come around a lot, especially with his brothers being there and everything like that. I'm sure that it got overwhelming yeah. from time to time. I don't know. This is just us playing with with I'm theory just still so here. Confused on why there were French soldiers there to begin with. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> it's I, a weird. It's a don't get it. I think he's time, trying to pull some time. French power. I bet they were. I bet they were pretty decently ranked officers. Yeah, you would think they'd have yeah. to be higher up Turn, there. Yeah, they would have to be for him to shit on Beethoven in front of them. Yeah, should have just sold like, him drugs. Like old Johan over there. He him to begin with. He wasn't getting more fond of him as mm-hmm. time went, you know, after his failed operas yeah. and everything. It's just, Maybe this is his way of, like, showing his loyalty to the French. That's what Maybe. I think it was. I think it's, he was trying yeah. to get in good with him. Lishnowski. Lishnowski, yeah. yeah. It's a weird move. It's a weird move. Let's, uh... Let's get back to the episode, and we and not Beethoven because you know he was already mad that they all came to his opera and were sitting in the Smoke in the cigarettes. rows, and the whole time they were like, "What are they saying?" I can't pay attention it's to this shit. because I, my 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 baguette is moldy and my <laughs> my, my beret is falling into my eyes. I can't see anything, and my cigarette is falling off. Well, they were it's yeah, it's crazy because they were actually sitting in the no smoking section. So what like, a bunch of ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Austin! I'm just glad you're Get getting. To I'm it. just getting, I'm just glad you guys are getting to. Or you're getting to use your French accent. You were working really hard on it, so you're nailing it. I've never done it before. It's good. It's very good. <laughs> Keep it up, my guy. I'm, I'm trying. I'm, I'm, you know, when it's more subtle and subdued, it's probably somewhat okay. But God, I like to really overdo it. Let's get it up to a ten. Let's caricature this bitch. I love it. Like to make a supreme asshole, man. <laughs> of myself. It's so good. Yeah, I'll, I'm into it. I, and if we could find more ways to get it in there, maybe Austin will read some fan mail. Oh, yes. I have some fan mail at home that I need you to read, Austin. <laughs> so, when Beethoven got back to Vienna, he went to his apartment and took a bust of Lushnovsky that Lushnovsky had given Beethoven as a gift and smashed it on the ground. And though it would take some time for the relationship to completely dissolve, this was the straw that broke the camel's back. Lushnovsky stopped paying Beethoven his annuity payments, and the two went from friends to acquaintances, and slowly, Lushnovsky disappeared from Beethoven's life. Another relationship ended. This one kind of seemed like it was warranted, though. Mm. Uh, well, you know listen back to the last five minutes and you can decide for yourself. Um, uh, yeah. Lishnovsky did like 
want, like I said, he did want to continue to be in Beethoven's life. And oftentimes he would go to Beethoven's, like where Beethoven was playing or his house or whatever. And he would just stand outside the door and listen to Beethoven play and then leave, like not ever talk to him or anything like that. But he was like, he he was like, yeah, was kind of sad. (laughs) (laughs) Doing like the garden state thing or whatever it is where he just sat outside the door. Maybe that, on yeah. the bridge. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, Killed his man. mom. God. Oh yeah, it's actually it's such so a dark bad. movie. I forgot. God, how bad it is. <laughs> Boobs. Boobs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a good movie. What a uh, weird movie yeah, to have been made. It. Yeah. Yep. People kind of right. forgot about that one, I think. Oh, it's <laughs> yeah. I have that scene of 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 Simon in the in the nativity scene <laughs> burned into my brain because yeah, the close up of the chest was man burned into my eleven year old brain. Yep, yep, yep. That'll happen. Yep. <laughs> Puberty is a weird time. So <laughs> around this time, Beethoven was once again struck down. He was still writing letters to Josephine Brunswick, who he thought he had a chance with. But she eventually responded with a definitive answer in 1807, saying she loved Beethoven like a brother, but would have nothing to do with him physically. Man, there's a whole demographic on the internet for that now. God, are you talking about incels? Yep. Well, no, 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 no. That's incest. And incel is involuntarily celibate. Incest? They're not related. Yeah, but what are you ta- like oh. a brother. Like, a, like brother. a brother. Oh, stepbrother, what are you doing? I get yeah. it now. let's not get into that all right (laughs) so beethoven was once again alone the book said that in her letters back to him she made it seem like there was hope at the beginning but Mm -hmm. reading through them i thought she made it pretty clear she had no interest in him aside from friendship and you can find them pretty easily read through them and it seems pretty straightforward to me yeah he handles he handles the 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 downfall of their potential relationship with uh grace i guess he handles it okay as much he grace says, as beethoven is capable of yes um <laughs> yeah and if you don't want to go check out those uh check out those letters on your own why don't you just go over to our patreon page where we will read them in character yeah i'm very into that hell yeah let's do it baby um so <laughs> <laughs> and we will keep breaking it up but with the exception of one woman beethoven strikes out with every woman he pursued for his entire life and that one woman who he didn't strike out with is something special and uh we'll get to it eventually the immortal beloved mm-hmm. hey, i was just thinking can i do all the women's voices for the patreon i think that'd be a lot of fun for me i just assumed you probably would yes. yeah we kind of just yeah figured that was your your yeah. job I can do that, big boy. Oh, oh God. (laughs) (laughs) Really getting getting the time accurate. Wow, you you fell into character uncomfortably fast. I'm a little Um, too good at that. Don't ask. Yeah, you're going to be every woman. Austin will be Beethoven, and I will be the narrator setting the scene. (laughs) And you'll be Morgan Freeman. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my God. Watch the Fast Times thing. (laughs) The scene is 1807, and uh, Beethoven (laughs) is... I don't know. I don't I'm know not... who that was meant to be, but it wasn't who I said. No, it wasn't Morgan Freeman. <laughs> it was another person who oh, okay. was different than yeah. Morgan Freeman okay. that the voice did sound like. Yeah, Tony. it did sound just like that other person. Thank you so much. Hey, Actually. if you, I found something funny on the internet. There's a there's a short YouTube video of uh, Kevin James dressed in a koala outfit playing around, and it's and then Adam Sandler narrates it like it's a Planet Earth documentary <laughs> clip, and it's very very funny. <laughs> that sounds good. That sounds. You'll have to really go watch it sometime. Yeah. 
at first it sounds like Adam Sandler narrating something, and then all at once you just kind of forget that it's Adam Sandler. And it's very funny <laughs> and very good. All right, um, perfect. Go check that out sometime if you want. I don't even remember the name of it, but it's pretty funny. Um, I so- watched Big Daddy last night. Holds up. <laughs> still good. Still <laughs> funny. He um, taught me that Sticks is the greatest <laughs> walk band of all time. They only get a bad whap because most critics are cynical assholes. <laughs> <laughs> I wipe the- my own ass. <laughs> I know. I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> wow too much time on that let's go great movie great <laughs> great movie um but to take his mind off this failure with josephine beethoven dove back into his work working on a piece for count oppersdorf uh that he commissioned him to do he wanted beethoven to compose a symphony of his own and while he was finishing up this symphony the Wien was having some struggles with the french being in the city killing attendance and a bad run of shows baron von braun was forced to resign from his dick director's position <laughs> i was gonna say director's position not there yet i'm sure beethoven was not reserved in expressing his joy at this Ooh, i just dear no i just hope he laughed at him like he laughed at the classic people like crying during his performance in the yeah. last episode <laughs> <laughs> so Beethoven saw an opportunity here uh, with this vacant position, and while he was the house composer again, Braun and Beethoven never got along, as we said, and Braun hadn't fully reinstated Beethoven to the theater, and he was working more as like an independent contractor with him. So now that Braun was gone, Beethoven wrote to the theater saying that he wanted his full job back plus more money. And he very obviously hinted that if they didn't give him his job back, he was going to leave Vienna, which would have been a big blow for them. Remember, they loved and cherished Beethoven. The new director that they put in place, Josef von Hartel, uh, sort of like had his hands tied with all of this because they didn't have any money as Braun had really screwed them over financially. And so they had to rework a ton of things to try and make money back quickly. And they definitely couldn't expand Beethoven's job. So they kind of like just left him hanging there with one one foot in the door, one foot out um, where he was still doing things for the theater, but nothing more. Yeah, Suchit said that no... Suchit! Suchit! He he did say that uh, no reply was ever recorded to his request, and it's likely one was never made. Dealt with that silent rejection. Yep. Mm. That's what's happening right now when we're trying to put out uh, feelers for podcast networks. There's a lot of no replies. (laughs) It's really great. We're almost to 5,000 streams, man. I'm happy. (laughs) We're we're there. By the time this episode hits, we're there. That's downloads, man. We don't know about streams. Oh, yeah. Oh, streams is hundreds of thousands. Yeah, oh, yeah. Definitely. If not millions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, of course not. We're not that big. Um, So Beethoven did put on a couple of concerts for Hartle to try and win the praises of the theater. uh, But even that wasn't enough to get the position. And Beethoven... Who he wanted to put on, he put on a benefit concert there and he wanted to put on a second benefit concert after his first, but the theater kept pushing it off and basically kept giving him like a maybe answer. So Beethoven decided that his time in Vienna was done. This was in the spring of 1808. Gotta know your worth. Yeah, you Mm -hmm. gotta keep them bargaining chips close to the chest, man. So the only problem with this is that he had no idea where he was gonna go. Paris was on his mind for a while, but he decided against it once he realized that it was in goddamn France and he'd be ruled by Napoleon. He decided his best course of action was to take a short trip back up to Heiligenstadt. Sans Lushnovsky. I really do love this period of his life. He he kicks back a little bit, takes it pretty easy. Oh, yeah. Easy peasy. Yeah, he's a straight up Tommy Bahama Beethoven. Man. I'm into it. <laughs> 
you're sipping on them margs, listening to Jimmy Buffett. You, uh, you can't, can't blame a guy when when the world gets you down. You gotta, you gotta take a quick trip to Margaritaville. So this is life. Let me tell you. Coconut drinks a babbling brook. I mean, I think the brook is babbling. I can't tell, but it looks like it'd be babbling. The brook is babbling. What is a babbling brook? Uh, yeah, no, so the theater issues, his losing his friend Lishnovsky, him losing Josephine, the failure of the opera, and his constant pressures to compose and perform got to him, and he decided he needed to get away. Again. Yeah. But yeah, this is, like, this is like the first time he's gotten away in like three years, yeah. but fuck him, am I right? Yeah, yeah. Um, screw him. So, <laughs> so once in Heiligenstadt, he did what he could to take his mind off everything. He went to taverns to listen to musicians and drink. He sat in his room. He slept when he wanted, ate when he wanted, and most importantly, he composed when he wanted. Yeah. Uh, one particularly fun story that the book shared was he went to a tavern, and there's a group of seven musicians performing there. Mm -hmm. like kind of he said they said that they all had drinks on the table and they would just pass out wake up just in time to play their part and then pass right back out that's that's, That's so fun that's a world i hope to one day live in i really want live music back and it's just the worst way (laughs) yeah uh, you guys are hoping for that in the as you're the vocalist of the band like the most consistent part in the whole band yeah Yeah, i could 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 do it probably Long guitar solos. <laughs> have you guys ever drank and played? Uh, I used to only have a-, a couple times, to be honest. And it, <sighs> hey, yeah, I broke my face last time. We had a great time at the Halloween show a year ago, almost. That's true. That is yeah. true. That was really yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I wasn't there, but yeah, uh, <laughs> I only. <laughs> I I only I only drank and played one time in my entire career playing with people and it was weird. Yeah. I can tell you it was weird being like buzzed yep. on stage. I was always too scared. Of I'm it, sure but... it's fun after a while, but yeah. me having my three beers and then going on stage really just gave me a newfound respect for like all the rock bands who just go on like after Wait. two bottles of Jack Dang. and shit. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's really pretty impressive. Because yeah, it's it's stressful. <laughs> But <laughs> let's not talk about us. Uh, so one of the things he did to pass the time while in Heilgenstadt was to walk through the woods and the forests and the fields and things like that. And because Beethoven couldn't seem to get away from the music in his head, he felt c- inclined to compose a piece that perfectly encapsulates what he was experiencing when he went out in nature. And here it is. seeing a pasture I'm seeing some hills if you listen closely in a moment you'll hear the birds tweeting beautiful yes that's that is Beethoven's sixth symphony also known as the pastoral it was written in 1808 almost entirely during his time there in the Heilgenstadt woods you can hear the sunshine peeking through the trees you can hear the birds you can hear the wind like it's so cool yeah this is I think this is my favorite of his symphonies because it's the clearest example of like the auditory painting that Beethoven could do Mm -hmm. in none of his other symphonies it is like this obvious of what he was trying to do well this is also kind of a turning point because it's the first time ever when he published it for the world that 
he actually explained what he was feeling at the time that he wrote it and broke mm-hmm. down for the listener what they are hearing and the emotions that he was experiencing alongside it. Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point to bring up because in all of his other pieces, like they're four, you know, four or five pieces or, or uh, movements or whatever. This one is five. And for the all the other ones, it's just like movement one. And then it says like Allegro or, or whatever. Um, but this one, he actually calls them things. So he calls them like wind through the trees or he calls oh. them, you know, like, like Descriptive a deer names. frolicking or yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's, um, it's just weird that he did go into this much detail about this one symphony. Yeah. But what is most amazing is that outside of those woods, as we've mentioned, Beethoven's life was kind of falling apart, but he was still able to set all of that aside to produce this piece. And when Beethoven came back to Vienna, the world continued to be on the verge of crumbling for him. He continued to think about leaving the city permanently, and Beethoven even had the chance to follow in his grandfather's footsteps when he was offered the position of the Kapellmeister for Kassel, the capital of Westphalia. And he was even able to name his own salary. These guys really wanted Beethoven to come. And his duties here as Kapellmeister would be simply to play and conduct when he felt like it. No set schedule or anything. And Beethoven almost took the job, leaving Vienna. But after he sent the acceptance letter, the Wien told him that they were going to give him his second benefit concert, where he would be able to do what he wanted, which he agreed to. It's honestly somewhat surprising to me that Beethoven even had intended to take this position given yeah. his feelings towards Napoleon because uh what what, what is it best best Westphalia. that's that's straight German you can call it you can call it Westphalia no, Westphalia or Westphalia Westphalia was basically a made-up kingdom I appreciate it uh, actually, a made-up kingdom. So Napoleon gave uh, this title to the northeastern countries in Germany and just plopped his shitty little brother on the fr- on the throne. <laughs> and yep. uh, I mean, but seriously, this this job sounded cushy. Like oh, yeah. <laughs> his duties, as the book defined it, were put as light in the extreme. <laughs> which literally just said play for the king when he wants you to that's it oh and you can just have this carriage at your disposal whenever you want it he could have really insane. just fucked off and made good money insanely yeah. good money yeah. he could have done nothing he could have just I, we might not have known him about him though we might not have ever heard his name if he'd done it yeah i mean by this point he had already kind of like sealed we his fate in the yeah, in the history of the world well established yeah but like obviously we haven't even gotten to some of his biggest work so yeah, like he, you know level. he still got plenty of ceiling to get to but yeah, yeah it had just been like and then he went to westphalia and and fucked around or whatever like he would have just done his thing might have been more like a mozart than a beethoven might have met a he's, woman uh, that loved him he needed his <laughs> he needed the the troubles to to be able to write the pieces he did so now that he had this this second benefit concert to prepare for he got things ready and uh started rehearsal and those rehearsals went about as badly as they usually do when beethoven's involved mm-hmm. to the point where beethoven actually wasn't even allowed to be in the room when they were rehearsing so he had to sit in a room by himself and try to hear what was going on which obviously was no easy task because of his deafness and to make matters worse the was also having a concert that night and was and had already snatched up all the best musicians in the city so beethoven was left with the b team Hey, sometimes the B team has the best personality. 
<laughs> I suppose. I guess. I guess. Uh, <laughs> Capomeister Salieri actually hmm. told all. Hell yeah, I like that name. Hey, thanks. Well, not thanks. I mean, good for good. Yeah, good job with your name. Getting named. Good job, man. <laughs> so he t- he told all the musicians performing it. Quality the- content. This is quality content. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, that guy, he actually told all the musicians performing at the big theater that they were, if they joined Beethoven's performance, he would just fire them and they would never be hired again. So the odds were super stacked against him. It's such a weird move. It is so goddamn weird. But wait, um, but to make matters worse, Beethoven, always the ambitious type, made the concert extraordinarily long, coming in at over four hours. Beethoven always won up to Beethoven. I mean, no one else could, so someone's got to do it. Someone's got to do it. That <laughs> <laughs> just, him. How, how, how is, I don't, he's just, in, he's so crazy. Sets his own he's standards. Like, yeah. Yeah. Four, oh, four hours? Yeah, no, that's fine. That's, that's going to be fine. This might actually that's almost good. be too short. We'll see. We'll, once we get <laughs> we'll to the see. end, I'll probably improv. I'll probably sell some things at the wall, mm. see what sticks, you know, what people yeah. are reacting to or whatnot. But I'll probably take about a good two or two and a half hours to do this. I will solo. I will solo. I will improv. And then wow. if they don't like it, I will make it even longer. <laughs> God, always just the, the Andy Kaufman of, of fucking composers. Just angry. <laughs> love it. So the night of the concert, December 22nd, of 1808. It was a very cold night, and the theater, the Vien, was not heated in the slightest. So what you ended up with was a cold audience sitting through four hours of music, played by less than great musicians, and conducted by a guy who could barely hear what was going on. There was even a point where Beethoven agreed to drop apart, and then in concert accidentally added it back in, which screwed up all the musicians and caused Beethoven to stop playing simply to yell at them. This just sounds like a comedy now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's truly like a slapstick comedy. Like, it's too long to tell the whole story, but at one point where everyone messed up by his own fault, he jumped mm-hmm. up from his piano and threw his arms to the side while screaming, and he knocked over a, just a fuckload of candles. <laughs> so so ignaz who we talked about earlier the concert master he to like try to have this not happen a second time because they started the whole fucking thing over he sent up two choir boys to stand beside beethoven and hold the candles (laughs) and at at the exact same spot he jumps up again throws his arms out and just fucking knocks one of the kids out. It's like, just like, just fucking guarding the candles like a point guard or something. Where are you going? And yeah, you going it, literally, it literally said the other one noticed it was coming and he ducked. But one of them got knocked to the ground and dropped his candle. It's like a Three Stooges sketch. Yeah. yeah, this is great. Seriously. But it did also say that the third time around was apparently flawless. So you know the saying. Third time's the goddamn... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought you weren't going to make it, but you did. You made it. <laughs> that's, I think that's what everyone was saying that night. I didn't yeah, think you were going to make it, but like, somehow... Time, we gotta do it the third time, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, the night was uh, something of a disaster. Yep. But what Beethoven, the musicians, and the audience didn't know was that they were sitting through one of the most important concerts of all time. 
because it was at this concert that Beethoven debuted his fifth and sixth symphony. This was the first time that anyone had heard these pieces. And we talked about the pastoral, his sixth symphony, but we haven't talked about the fifth symphony yet. So while they were indifferent about the pieces at the time, we can all agree that both these pieces, especially the fifth, have gone on to be one of the biggest musical pieces of all time. And I will argue it is the four most recognizable notes of all time. It's so funny. It's a Beethoven joke. Technically eight notes um, through that whole thing. But yeah, this was the piece that was requested by Oppersdorf after he and Beethoven got along with the fourth symphony. So his fifth symphony was written as nothing more than a commission piece. God. Just absolutely nuts. Nothing special about it. Nothing, no incredible backstory, anything like that. And to make it even worse, Beethoven ended up dedicating the symphony not to Oppersdorf, but rather to Prince Lobkowitz, who the guy who took the dedication from Bridgewater and the Russian ambassador who Beethoven wrote the string quartet for back in uh, Trapa, I think. I don't remember what it was. But yeah, the place that him was, and Leshansky went. Yeah, exactly. Um, that was Andre. Razumovsky. Uh, I'm just going to let the Fifth Symphony first movement play out. What, that's what you're listening to is the yes. first movement of the Fifth Symphony. Um, and so that's not to say that he only worked on it after Opperstorff requested it, because he actually pulled parts from early as 1804. But this was completed in 1808 and debuted here. But after this concert, with the chances of Beethoven leaving the city to become Cassell's Kapellmeister, and a little chance of him getting employment at the Wien, the city had to find something to keep Beethoven there. So, enter Archduke Rudolf, a member of the Habsburg royalty and a lover of the arts. Truly a hero of this part of the story. This is the only thing keeping the story going, yeah. So who is this guy? Who is this incredibly important man that we have not mentioned yet? And how will he be vitally important to our story? Come back on the next episode of On in 5 to find out, baby! You just gotta come back! couldn't even focus on your talking tony the music is so good <laughs> uh, i really like having backup really music this is great it really it. changes the whole thing changes oh, the whole man. dynamic love it so thank much thank you beethoven thank you for writing this stuff 200 years ago <laughs> so we can play it now thank you I really appreciate it thank you for being dead so long ago yeah good looking out man <laughs> and f the copyright laws of today because they are horseshit okay I don't know why I took a bite. I'm eating a bar right now. Yeah, <laughs> we're just I think you really panic. I think you panic bit. I think yeah, you were you're overwhelmed like, oh, at the end. And so good. And oh, I'm no, I'm making I'm me loving food this. horny. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, that's where we're going to end it for this episode. Part four, baby. Part, part four coming up. It's I'm going to say part five coming up. Probably. We're going. Oh, yeah, almost definitely, honestly. We, we might finish out the goddamn year on Beethoven. We don't know. This series is so much thicker than we ever thought it was yeah, going to be. It's so much fun. Yeah, We're loving it. We are loving it so, so much. Information. much. So come back and listen to that. In the meantime, if you want to check us out on social media, you could do that. We're on in five on everything. That's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We are, we're on in five, W-E-R-E, on in five. We also have a website that I have not touched in quite a while. Really behind on that. Pretty uh, embarrassing, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, that's we're on in five.com. We mentioned it a couple times. We have a Patreon if you want to join that. Any amount of money uh, will get you access to episodes a day early. If we do any bonus content, which we've done a couple things on there, not for a while, which we're really bad about, which we honestly do want to do more on, which we'll do that eventually. Um, But you can do that. 
we'd love it if you did that money goes back to us to just basically pay for the hosting site and pay for books like we aren't we're not getting wealthy off any of this by no. any means we are just we're just trying to have fun with it and that's what we're doing so and we're still paying for our own books it's really at fun. this point <laughs> so um if you want to find me anton anywhere i'm anton a-n-t-o-n is on in five that's twitter and instagram i'm on facebook as well but you're gonna have to hunt to find me but if you do i'll add you and we have good time uh ethan awesome why don't you guys go next ethan you go first okay twitter ethan boning b-o-n-i-n instagram bones for boning b-o-n-i-n email us like always we are on in five at gmail.com anything don't care send us letters I, if like we said before, we said if you do the review, we'll send you a letter with picture. That's true. We'll yeah. send you some stickers. We'll, we'll send you a handwritten letter. We'll really say thank you. You can obviously also private message us, DM us, whatever the correct term is for the social media you're on. We reply to everything. Yeah. So, and we love we love interacting with you guys. It's honestly so fun for us. So please do. I'm, I'm on Twitter, T H O M A A F. I'm on Instagram at Austin underscore Tomso9. I'm on Facebook. Uh, I don't do anything on any of them, so there's no point in even really bothering. Uh, if you really want to know, you can listen to another episode and find it. It's just not worth it. That's so true. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> if you if you feel like it, you should just not be on social media. That's, I, I, that's what my I'm, wife and I watched the social dilemma, and like, yeah. pretty scary. I didn't yeah. like pretty it. Pretty scary how. Yeah. Yeah, it's I'd, very scary. I don't um, ever want to let my kids get social media now. So yeah, yeah, it's fine. I guess yeah. I hope you guys are all happy uh, being product. Just being the yeah, being if the products. It's, if of... it's free, you are the product. Don't forget it. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So anyway, go find <laughs> us there. Um, <laughs> um, no, but for real. Also, we've said it before. If you feel like it, go like and review us on iTunes or anywhere you listen to podcasts. That just, you know, that kind of boosts the numbers. And, and the more that it's liked and the more visible it is, the more people are going to see it and the more chance we have of actually being able to do this as uh, a partially full-time job um, for some of us. Or, you know, we'll, we'll, we can spend more time devoted to it. It sounds like you're about to announce something so sinister. <laughs> like if the music is ramping up and something bad's about to happen. <laughs> And uh, yeah, if if we don't get eight thousand listens by the end of the year, <laughs> uh, live on air, we will be no. Um, oh, anyway, <laughs> so 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 yeah, please please uh, like, review us, subscribe to us, whatever. Just get our numbers up so we can we can tell people we have a lot of numbers so we can get people behind us and get ads and all that kind Would of stuff. Would love to be able to um, tell people that realistically. Sweet, sweet. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> um, so we're gonna leave it there. It's a good time. Very good time. Come back for part four of Beethoven, where we find out who this who this guy is. This uh this Rudolph. This this, this Rudolph. And we find out how is. much more he can't hear anything. Yeah. And who the immortal beloved is. There's so much more to unpack here. It is just thick. Frightening how much there is left to do. <laughs> but we're gonna keep bringing it to you and we're gonna keep having fun with it. So thank you so much. We'll see you next episode. In the meantime, be safe out there. Wear your mask and uh, don't hug one another. Please wear your mask. Okay, stop talking now.
I didn't expect you guys to listen to me, but that made it somehow much better. <laughs> I love it. This, I, I was expecting oh, some I'm, kind of comment. Nope. I'm finishing. I'm finishing this piece. This is all staying in the episode. Yeah, I believe it. it. Just like make them like wait. We're gonna like they think they're waiting for something, but just let it keep going. I love it. Hmm. No. I can Far listen. To it. I love classical music so much. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Not the end. Trick ya. Is there still like 20 minutes left? <laughs> is there or is there not? <laughs> no one way to find out, baby. <laughs> the episode's two hours straight. <laughs> just 30 just minutes like the of last music. 30 minutes of just us just sitting here bullshit. And, yeah, it's the, it's That's like it. the extended All right. cut. I'm not putting any outro music. That was the outro music. Thank That's... you so much. We'll see you for the next episode. Love you. Bye.